Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Happy days, everybody. Welcome back to the Offload Delay podcast. We are live uh, streaming with you today with more long-term care information, some much-needed information that's being um, delivered to us by the minute. Uh, This is an urgent issue. This is a follow-up podcast to one that we did last week where we had an amazing chat with Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos and three of our uh, Healthcare Coalition uh, ladies to come in and be... uh, showing us, revealing their stories as advocates and what they were bringing to the table. Well, today, let me tell you, we have a real powerhouse of a guest. We have the director, the executive director of the Ontario Health Coalition. We have Natalie Mara, and I'm extremely thrilled to be able to bring her on. And we're bringing back MJ as an advocate supporter uh, of the same coalition. Before we bring Natalie in, I just want to let everybody know that Natalie's been involved with this coalition for uh, almost 21 years now. And she was um, part of the group that helped bring in the Canada Health Act into our province, into our um, into our, our, our country. And her work is relentless. This picture that I have here, this is how Natalie is known to everybody out there, basically in front of a microphone, in front of the media, delivering the message, trying to basically get these politicians to act to help us uh, be represented in the best way possible. And we are now in a full-blown long-term care crisis in Ontario. And as you will see shortly and hear, Natalie and MJ, we're going to talk about some pretty disturbing numbers that are going on in the province of Ontario with long-term care, healthcare in general, but specifically with this show, it's the long-term care crisis we're talking about. Um, I need to warn everybody, we may have some sensitive information delivered. We're going to be talking some frank discussions about what's going on in these uh, facilities and these institutions within our long-term care in Ontario. And um, just a warning, if if you're sensitive to it and that, it may be uh, a little triggering, but we need to speak the truth and we need to bring that information forward. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring in Natalie. And I'm going to bring in MJ. Welcome, ladies. Welcome, and thank you for coming on the Offload Delay podcast. Thanks, Brad. Natalie, I know your time is paramount. Uh, we've had some discussions before this show and in prep for today's uh, podcast. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you sleep. You're go, go, go. Um, messages were coming to my phone, to my email, 24 hours a day. You just are such a a powerful person that is driven 
so intensely that you just don't seem to stop. And thank you for that. We're very grateful for your work. We are all um, enamored, kind of in shock by how much work you've been able to put out and to deliver on behalf of all of us. So thank you for that. I, I think we met MJ last week. MJ, you are no slouch yourself. You definitely have a um, social media campaign going on both in the long-term care sector right now and in the educational side. So you, you are one busy individual and as well running a family, having your own, your own issues dealing with the, the pandemic and on top of that, the advocacy for these major groups. So thank you again and welcome, MJ. Um, right now, I think we need to discuss some things that went on. You ladies approached me actually about a meeting that went on with the OHC, the Ontario Health Coalition, four days ago, January 11th. And it wasn't long after that, that I received a message saying, we need an urgent pod. We need to get a message out. And I was more than happy to do it. It blended well with last week's podcast. It's a continuum. We couldn't have enough of these, to be honest. But I think, Natalie, if you could, let's just discuss some of these things that happened January 11th in this meeting. Some of the messages or some of the numbers that were revealed and some of the shocking um, findings that you were having uh, in these meetings. If you don't mind, just kind of giving us the breakdown of where you're at with the OHC with long-term care right now. And what is the hot topic, if we choose one right now? There are many, but what is what is the number one thing on your plate right now, Natalie? Okay, thanks, Brad. And also, I just want to say, because I just don't think, I mean, we are a team. Really, there are thousands of volunteers across Ontario working on this. And um, so I don't want to take credit for everyone. It's a, it's a totally a team effort. And people are working so hard in so many ways. And actually, everything that every individual does right now actually helps and matters hugely. So thank you for the kudos. And Absolutely. Thank you for doing well um, but, you know, I'm sharing it with with everyone uh, who is working with us. So in terms of long term care, I, you couldn't overstate the crisis like it's not possible to overstate the crisis. So we held an emergency meeting of the long term care action group, which is a group of mainly family members of loved ones in long term care. Sadly, a number of them have died through the pandemic in long-term care in the various different wave one and wave two, wave three. Um, and now looking at what's going on, we are horrified. I mean, we have never seen so many outbreaks all at once uh, in long-term care. The, the very latest data, I was just looking at it from the epidemiologic report, which is the sort of daily summary of the data from Public Health Ontario, is showing more than 400 outbreaks. The, wow. the government website is showing more than 300 just in long-term care. That doesn't what count does, retirement homes. Sorry. What does that represent as percentage, Natalie? We're so over 50% now. Homes. So, so over 50%. Yeah, that's our right. declared outbreak. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Continue on. No, please. no, no, that's Absolutely. okay. And we're talking like in people terms, thousands, tens of thousands of people. There's about 75,000 residents. So we're talking, you know, we're talking about thousands of people. Most of the homes are in uh, lockdown. Um, many, many thousands of the residents are isolated to their rooms 24 7. So they're in their bedroom, you know, 24 7. They might be a 12 by 12 room and they can't leave. 
in some homes, the staffing is very, very low, as you know, uh, across the board and has been prior to the pandemic. Certainly, uh, it was a crisis prior to the pandemic. Now, that crisis is a catastrophe. There are thousands, 6,000, um, more than 6,000 workers and uh, residents sick with COVID-19 in long-term care alone right now. And more than a th like 1,500 a week as of the last week, um, getting sick each each week with uh, with the current variant of COVID-19. So yep. full-on crisis in long-term care, residents on lockdown, staffing crumbling in the homes. Staff still do not have N95 masks. If you can believe it, the residents are locked in and there's all kinds of staff without N95 masks. I'm not blaming the staff. I'm blaming the government and the operators for not providing and insisting that all staff wear and 95 masks at this point and everyone entering the home essential caregivers you know contractors delivery people everyone going into those homes should be in an n95 mask uh, that is not happening so measures just no measures happening to deal with the staffing crisis or even the public health basic public health measures aren't happening and absolute crisis among the residents 60 at least six well as of yesterday 60 residents have died since christmas and wow. 38 of those in the last week. So the death rates are starting to go up. They lag behind infections by several weeks. And so our hair, you know, is standing on end. We are so concerned um, that we are seeing now the very worst wave in the pandemic and real suffering, you know, suffering uh, in the scale that we saw in wave one and two, decline, death, inadequate care in every way. It's awful and so much of it that we view as being preventable and we knew this was coming we knew we've lived through the other waves what i have coming up here is from one of your allies both uh you and dr viv have been so busy on this uh delivering this message and being such advocates this was this tweet is actually three hours old before the podcast so there's the numbers right there four more deaths today and in long-term care, they have 336, and you've since updated that number to into the 400s, uh, long-term care facilities and outbreak. And the staff and resident total is now over 6,000 people that have been affected with, uh, the, with the COVID outbreak. Um, these numbers are climbing exponentially, and we keep getting these promises from our government, stemming back to when the lid was blown off this thing when Ford invited the military in in 2020 and they delivered a scathing report. It was just absolutely scathing. And then he came on demanding that he was going to make change. And there's what he would not stand for this under his watch. Uh, over that time, he's claimed to be bringing on 27,000 workers, I've been told, to the health care system in the province, not long-term care. Correct. Like overall, he, he's that's right. Healthcare is all hospitals, long term care. Twenty seven thousand. And you told me a number that blew me away. What is needed in long term care alone is what? You tell uh, me? More than fifty five thousand. Fifty five thousand. Yet our premier is trying to deliver a promise of twenty seven thousand overall, which don't get me wrong. There are zero plans to get there. That's there right. are zero contingency plans if we don't get there. There's nothing being done for this. Where are these workers coming from? Where well, this is think the thing. 
it's just yeah. not happening. Like it is not ha- that was that twenty seven thousand for all of healthcare was announced in the budget. It's been reannounced in, you know, many many different ways. It's all PR and no substance. There is no plan. There's no training plan. There's nothing to actually get us there, and we're so behind. It's desperate, but it's not hopeless. Like Quebec, for example, in the in this first summer of the pandemic, announced the government apologized for the carnage in long-term care. They took it seriously, actually. Um, And they announced an urgent recruitment drive to get 10,000 PSW equivalents, they call them orderlies in Quebec, uh, into the homes. They did three-month intensive training um, and uh, they paid them $26 an hour, uh, sorry, was it $21 an hour for the training? And then they gave them full-time jobs, which is missing in healthcare, definitely in long-term care. Um, and uh, put them into the homes in time for the second wave. Um, And their second wave was much better. Our second wave was worse than the first. It was total devastation in the homes and staffing just crumbled. Nothing happened. And then weirdly, I mean, despicably, unconscionably, nothing has happened since. So now here we are going into the fifth wave and the staffing has you know been lost wave after wave after wave as people have gotten sick um, and not been able to return to work from long COVID or other side effects as people have left uh, just unable to take it anymore. Um, and so we went into this wave with less staffing than we had before and it was in crisis and now it's crumbling. I, just can I share with you, this is a, Absolutely. This is a, a messenger message I just got. Um, Hi, sister, this person who's in a union. Uh, I know you're swamped, but I have to share my thoughts on this. I work at a home. In the last two weeks, we've had 50 uh, staff test positive, eight residents test positive in one home area, and uh, one has died so far. We can't staff our home now. We're in crisis. Employer says we have to have our boosters by January 28th or be on unpaid leave. Help us, please. And how do you even start to help, Natalie? What do we what what do we do when we're so far behind the eight ball? Yeah. I understand. I see in the comment section somebody's brought up the fact that the military has not been brought back in again. I understand it was an extreme measure at the beginning, but why it, it was a measure? It was a, a bit of an attempt to to relieve relieve the staffing crisis and to provide let's call it another set of eyes into this problem from authoritative figures that can actually deliver recommendations and hopefully ensure they're carried out. We, we haven't done that yet, but at least what's, what's the hesitation? Why not all hands on deck? Well, I, I mean, there's a total failure of leadership. The Ford government has done nothing. The, part of it is because they have a long-term plan for, uh, according to no less of a, an authority than the Financial Accountability Office of Ontario, which is a body that reports to the Ontario legislature and analyzes the budget and so on. And they're warning that the budget plan from the Ford government, the the most recent budget, plans $18 billion, $17.8 billion in permanent cuts to public services post-pandemic, which starts in their projection 2022-23. So, I mean, the reason why they're not staffing up in any serious way is that they're planning worse cuts after the pandemic than we saw before the pandemic. So, you know, that is what's going on. I'm not making that, you couldn't make this stuff up, frankly. Um, and uh, 
And so that's why, you know, they're making all kinds of announcements to make it look like they're doing something without actually doing something. And they're leaving right now, this in my view, and no exaggeration, they're letting Omicron burn through. Um, and they are leaving the residents there and the staff there to suffer uh, without, uh, you know, opening the purse strings, which, you know, if you're to staff up, you're going to, it's permanent costs. You got to staff in and pay for them. So Natalie, what can do you be think, done though? Sorry, go ahead. Do you think they even know what's involved with training individuals to fill these roles that they're just advocating for? Like, do you, do you think there's such a disconnect out there that they can't even put it, like the timeframes alone don't match? My big issue, my biggest one, and MJ, you and I were talking about this. There's family out there. There's caregivers that are willing to get proof of vaccination, that are willing to be tested, that are willing to go into care for their own individual loved ones. Providing care probably second to none when it's your own relative, that 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 personal touch. And this is not this is not a a discredit of any healthcare worker out there, but when it's your own family, your own loved one. And you're being refused to go in to provide that that personal touch. And you have the ability to at least provide some care, some level of care, a bath, a shower, a meal, a conversation. Do you not think that that denial and that disconnect is the biggest failure right now with the staffing? They have, they have zero clue of what is involved to get people to levels that they're advertising they want. Sorry, MJ, I think. Either, either. Yeah, I mean, honestly, MJ, we've talked about this. Yeah. There are people um, out there willing to go in and help, especially with their own loved ones. It's kind of a really strange dichotomy, too, because we're hearing all the time that there are families that are saying, I'm an essential caregiver. I'm not I'm not even allowed in. And you're like, OK, they're supposed to be allowed in during outbreaks as well. I, it seems like the number one thing is the they don't want to have any deaths. And what you know, from the get go, oh, my gosh, the more deaths we have, the worse it's going to be. There's going to be lawsuits, all that kind of thing. And so they shut everything down because that seems to be the only thing, a number that they're trying to avoid having. And what they're it's two years in death, we know, isn't just from COVID now. It's the immense depression, um, the isolation, the dehydration, um, like all of these stories that you talked about, Brad, that we hear from people are things like on one of the floors where there are 33 high need residents, there was no personal support worker for an entire day. There was no feeding, no changing of anyone's soiled clothing for an entire day for 33 high need residents. Like that kind of thing alone can lead to um, urinary tract infections, mm -hmm. bed sores, things that get you to sepsis, that eventually get you to the hospital where we know they are no better off for staffing the poor healthcare workers, which eventually we know for elderly people, a trip to the hospital can set you back mentally, I don't know how many weeks, then you get back and you're forced to isolate for 14 days if you're not already in an outbreak at the home that you're in. And for my own parents, it's the same thing. As much as they're in a retirement home, they're still covered by the same public health rules in terms of isolation and things. And the number of times that a parent has said, you know, somewhat passively, but yeah, like I'd rather not be here. Like I really, so I don't we, I may not be here next week. We look at all these staffing numbers. We understand that so many are lost or so many are off, but it's the real, real people, the real personal effect that can't get lost in all of these numbers and stats and, and figures and budgets. I can't tell you how many times me personally, and you would have heard way more than me doing the advocacy you're doing, of the people that aren't getting showered. 
that aren't leaving their rooms, that aren't being fed, that are, are, are not even getting drinks. They're, they're dehydrated. They're, they're not getting sore maintenance, as you're talking about, like bed sore care or, or prevention. Um, so ultimately, well, this used to raise eyebrows. I, I'm sorry. Years ago, this would be like, what are you talking about? You hear one or two of these things and it would blow you away. And now it's the norm. And I cannot believe the inundation of information out there with these examples. And what I'm seeing is the loss of the will to go on, the loss of the will to live for these individuals. And we are wronging them on the highest level possible. And I, we just heard from, was it this week, two people called whose loved ones haven't had a bath or a shower, proper bath or shower yeah. since before Christmas. Yeah, middle of December, now a whole month. Right? It's yep. a month. I, I mean, if you can imagine, and then being alone, and m- many just like, you know, staring at the walls, staring at the TV. Sometimes their beds aren't set so they could even see the TV. You yeah. know, 24-7, they're, they're declining in ways that are irreversible now. Right. Yeah. Um, it just as you're describing, like it is traumatic. It's so traumatic for the families who have been through it before, for all of us who have, you know, been very close to this now for the whole pandemic. It just, we have to stop it. We have to force the government to stop it. There's no way to stop that without enough staff. Like there just is, even if you let, you know, more essential caregivers in and we're calling for that fully vaxxed, you know, N95 masks and goggles, full PPE, absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, get as many essential caregivers as people have so that they can share the burden in. But there's a lot who don't have essential caregivers. And so they rely on staff hugely. And so do the ones with essential caregivers. And so there's no, we, there's no solution without staff. There's no care without staff. Staffing is the critical crisis and isolation is the critical crisis and both of those we need immediate action to resolve from the government can't be resolved at the home level just can't and speaking of that we're in ontario here yesterday a certain individual decided he was done yeah (laughs) uh rod phillips announced his lack of willingness to run again and not only that he's going to be resigning from his role in a month this leaves us, in my opinion, hanging again. Now we're in this transition period where you have somebody else who's been named, and we're going to get to that individual very soon. But Rod Phillips now, in his last month, based on the effort he's put forth during these previous months, how much do we really think is going to be achieved with someone that's now announced they're walking out the door in a month? You have thoughts, Natalie? Yeah, honestly, like I've been through so many health ministers and long-term care ministers as the executive director here. And I've, you know, met with almost all of them, not Rod Phillips, but I wasn't a fan anyway. And the ministry will carry on. And the, I mean, it's sort of a sub ministry of the ministry of health. The government will carry on. The decisions are being made by cabinet, which is all the MPPs of the current government. So the decisions around not taking public health measures to stem the tide of this, um, this particular wave, uh, you know, fast enough. So allowing, for example, 10,000 people to gather in stadiums. Well, 75,000 long-term care residents were locked down in their rooms, you know, completely showing the ageism and the discrimination in the decision-making that's going on here. Don't get me wrong. I love the Raptors, but I mean, let's get serious. You know, 
those decisions are made by cabinet. The decisions not to open the purse strings and bring in staff made by cabinet. What decisions could be made now, it doesn't matter whether there's a minister there, you know, or not, um, are they could bring in the military. They could call for that. We don't need the minister there to do that. That Ford can do that with uh, the prime minister. They can bring in uh, rapid response teams. They could open a portal and have, uh, I already have doctors contacting me saying, I want to volunteer, you know, uh, but there's no way to actually get into the hospitals and the long-term care homes um, and frankly, retirement homes that are in total crisis to provide additional care. There are retired nurses and health professionals that could come back on stream, but the colleges have to fast track their credentialing, get them back in. They, they're obviously going to need to waive their licensing fees so that they can come back for three months or things like that. You know, those kinds of measures, easy to do. There are a whole array of concrete measures that could be done, must be done, uh, and be ready to be deployed for future waves as well. Um, and it just, you know, the government can do it. But on Rod Phillips, you know, frankly, he brought in an act that pretended that it was to improve long-term care. And really what it was to do was to privatize the next, uh, there's about 35,000 long-term care beds coming on stream and they, um, they're 30 year contracts and they want to give the majority of them to the for-profits. But in the existing act, they're forbidden in giving licenses to um, com companies that have terrible records. Uh, and they are giving licenses to companies that have terrible records in violation of the act. They're the next generation, 30 years of long-term care bids. And so what that act really did was change that to try and remove the barriers for them giving new licenses to places like Orchard Villa or Altamont Care, these homes where the military went in and found you know, dehydration and starvation and just egregious negligence uh, in the homes that this government is actually giving, you know, new licenses to those for-profit companies. We threatened to take them to court to stop that. So they changed the legislation. That's what this, you know, that's what Rod Phillips did. Not sad to see him go, but, you know, solutions are possible regardless. There's some interesting thoughts out there. Some people think perhaps Phillips got a little tired of trying to get Ford to move into action. So this is a way to highlight some. There's a lot of theories in that out there, but here's what I've seen with this government, whether it's in long-term care or overall leadership during this pandemic. They disappear. Yeah. Or disappeared for the longest time yeah. when we needed him most. Yeah. Phillips is now in, as you said, Natalie, this is the worst phase of the pandemic in long-term care outbreak that we've seen yet. And I hate to say yet. It's true because it could change tomorrow. And he's now disappearing. And yeah. you need, you have no continuity of leadership. You have no aggressive kind of roles being played out for advocacy at their level. And it's left yes. on yeah. you. It's left on MJ. It's left on the poor families that are trying to figure this all out and they're not even allowed in the building. Yeah. There's so many answers that could be quickly addressed. Like, why are they not all mandated, all long-term care facilities to have the rapid test? Why not? Yeah. Like this so is, I think, this, you know, this, there's something, Brad, if I can say, just something that yeah. even listening to uh, when uh, Natalie, with all your supporters, have come up with, you know, the list of demands. It would be great if we can share it on here. I'm not sure if you have it, but certainly on the link for the Ontario Coalition of Health, you can see their list of current demands to make a difference. And it's really sort of comes down to, I'm sort of along the lines of what you're thinking, Brad, and it's 
I kind of want to ask the government and less so because I know what the answer is likely going to be, but more so it's the kind of thing we need to ask as we head into the next election where maybe we can find somebody with a pulse and a soul who can lead with, um, you know, good sound decision making skills, but also some compassion, because whether you like it or not, we're human uh, at the core of your economy, whether, you know, whether you choose to agree with that or not. So it's my question is, do you agree that meeting these demands will help improve the situation in health care and long term care? If you don't, you're unfit to lead. If you do and you're concerned about spending money or handling the inherent challenges of the logistics of getting to meet these demands, you're unfit to lead. If you can't see the immense impact all of these issues will have on the future of Ontario, you're unfit to lead. If you don't care about the immense impact all of these issues we're having right now in long-term care and healthcare are going to have on the future of Ontario because you and your backers benefit from it as it is because it drives private business, you are unfit to lead. Very well said. Very well said. And I know for a fact that everybody watching is applauding you. Natalie's applauding you. And we all believe the same thing. And this is what blows me away is these people want to be in a leadership role. They chose this. Yeah. I've said it all along. No one forced anyone in these positions to take these jobs that I'm aware of. So now that you take these jobs, why don't you show up to work? Why don't you only show up to work, but why don't you do your job that you're being paid to do by us, by the people that you're actually letting down and and killing? There, there's deaths that are, unav that are avoidable. And I'm sorry, when you look at Rob Ford's statistics for how many times he showed up into parliamentary meetings, I, I, I was blown away. I, I can't quote it, but I definitely know he, he showed up for the day he was sworn in. Imagine having a job like that. Imagine, sometimes I kick myself to go, why did I go to a job where I actually have to show up to work? Especially when it gets really shitty, when it's tough. It's so, it's all PR before substance. Yeah. You know, that's what's, you know, I can't think, I've been here through, you know, so many governments and I just can't imagine any of them, whether we, we had our disagreements and, you know, uh, agreements over the time, but I just can't imagine any of them responding in this way or just the lack of response in this way. And what I'm worried about, I'm glad that people are, you know, I'm glad that we're doing this because it sort of lays out that there are other alternatives and they've chosen, it's a political choice. It's not a necessity not to do these things. The fact that they're leaving people in long-term care to die is a political choice and it can be changed it has to be changed. I mean, we cannot sit by and let this happen. We're five months from a provincial election. I mean, this is when we win stuff. This is when they all get transactional. I'm not, I'm not part, we're not partisan as a health coalition. We try and tell the truth and we push them all. Uh, so we came up with a list of things that they could do concretely immediately to deal with the immediate catastrophe across healthcare. And then we also put together a list of what needs to be done in the short term to try and get to those kinds of numbers of caregivers and uh, changes that are necessary to protect people and save their lives and have enough health care going forward. Um, but that is partly just because we have to push all of the political parties now. We have the immediate crisis and going forward, we need to push them all to um, do the things that are necessary. We cannot go back to decades of cuts to hospitals, of you know purposeful underfunding, of allowing staffing to continue at egregiously low rates, and patients not get uh, residents and clients not get the care 
that they need. So we got to make this an election issue and we can do that together. And that's how we win. Right. I agree. And now before we move forward on to, we've kind of talked about issue and we have a viewer here, Linda, that's, that sent in a comment that says, basically, forgive me for saying this, but you're speaking to the converted. Basically, that's who's going to turn into these podcasts is the ones that believe this and know if, if, you, if you're hesitant or you don't believe or you're, you're brushing it off, you're not going to watch. But where are the people who can change things, right? Where is the political will to change things? And that's kind of the second half of today. And it's kind of a great, um, we have some more numbers we can give. We have some more stats we can pull up. But really, this is a great segue into something that MJ is particularly passionate about is how we can help. And yeah. what we're, where we're at now is, Natalie, you brought it up to me this week, is the time is now for a public campaign now and you as the ohc they are going to be initiating a public campaign and the goal of that campaign is to open eyes and to educate because if you don't know this is going on or you don't really want to look if you start to put in front of their face they're going to see it it can choose whether or not they pay attention but it's the start it's the public campaign that's going to go where this is the important part of the election is right now this is where change is made the election itself is in june in ontario but the changes are happening now by the, the mandates that we're putting forward as far as what we want to have these platforms campaigning towards. What do we want to see done? What are we going to be supporting? So, MJ, yeah, or actually, do you want to talk now, Natalie, while we can about the public campaign? Sure. Want yeah, to? Just, so um, it's such a noble, great idea. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, it's all of us together, right? So no one's voice is not... is unimportant or more important than the others we could do and we do do as much you know as many media interviews and all of that sort of stuff as possible but that alone doesn't actually change anything it just helps people understand that what is happening is not necessarily what needs to happen that there are other alternatives and um and sort of a call for better and and to put on some pressure but what we need is that's this tier of people who care deeply the people who are um tuning in to this podcast um, to actually be able to take action that's going to matter and make a difference in their communities. So what we thought we would do is we're holding a, um, so there's kind of three things. One is we have to stop the privatization of healthcare. Ford is planning privatization of hospital surgeries and diagnostics. He's in the midstream of privatizing home care, the last remaining public parts of home care. They're privatizing the majority of these, uh, of the thousands, 35,000 new long-term care beds that uh, need to go on stream, the majority of which uh, are before 2025. Um, and uh, and they're also privatizing other parts. You know, they're what they want to consolidate, as you know, as a paramedic, uh, yeah. they want to consolidate and uh, potentially privatize um, EMS, uh, emerg uh, paramedic services, and a whole range of things. So one is we have to stop privatization. The second is we got to get the care levels up in long-term care. We need the care levels. We need the accountability. We need real consequences for operators who um, neglect and um, leave the, you know, are incompetent and negligent. Um, you know, we need uh, real inspections and enforcement, a kind of range of uh, issues 
access for caregivers, the human rights of the residents respected. So these kind of five key issues in long-term care that would really make a huge difference to the residents and families of long-term care uh, moved forward. So what we want to do is hold a sort of major summit beginning of February by Zoom because of uh, the Omicron uh, wave that we're in right now, roll out uh, summits in every town across the province. We'll start with 20, then we'll add in another 20, then we'll add in another 20 and so on. My goal is 50 to 60 um, large towns by Zoom at the moment, unless we can do it in person. And then from there, all of the volunteers locally, uh, like the people on this podcast, would be able to get lawn signs, window signs, billboards, and so on up all across their community, pushing on these key issues, pushing all of the political parties, laying out what's happened on these key issues so that it's visible. So there's a way for normal people to join in that might make a difference. We need to set the key election issues and then pressure all of the parties to meet our key demands on them. So that's the goal. Um, and there is a way then for everyone to do something. Because I, for example, could get, I know I could get my neighbors on my street, all of them, and in the neighborhood to put up lawn signs or car decals, you know, signs in their in their cars, and we could fundraise for a billboard here. You know, I think people could do that uh, pretty much everywhere across the province. It would absolutely affect things. And I, I couldn't agree more. And all we can do is start all of these, any sort of act to put into motion starts somewhere. Yeah. And what a great campaign that you're going to spearhead through your fabulous coalition. There's also individuals that are out there, i.e. MJ, bottom of our <laughs> yes. screen here, who, who have done their own work on social media. And I know we have a campaign that we see all the time. If you follow MJ, and if, if you don't, you should. Uh, her her handle for Twitter will be on the, on the screen as soon as I remove this hashtag. And MJ, you have this hashtag, make some noise. But what was yeah. this? How did you come up with this? What is, we see this all the time. Yeah, I, I came up message. with it. Uh, you know, actually, I believe it may have been even Christine Cooper who's on here, who also is another African, who actually came up with the hashtag for me, though I, I say it in all my tweets, right? Because I see her posting there. Yeah, so I've always said, I said, make some noise, because I, I, from the very beginning of the pandemic, and as you mentioned, I've got children, so they're all school-aged, and um, we also have a small business, and I have elderly parents. So there's all sorts of, you know, like everybody else, you're impacted coming at you from all ways. And I was feeling myself incredibly stifled with my frustration and found, um, you know, my voice on Twitter that, well, maybe I can just make a few phone calls. And I thought, well, what if I suggest to others to make a few phone calls? And it sort of snowballed from there. And I found actually when um, working on trying to get vaccines for my youngest, who was kind of in this limbo age group, that actually it turned out to be with a lot of other fabulous parents on Twitter that we ended up putting a lot of pressure on the Ford government who eventually switched, not just because of us, but certainly it got the media's attention and enough that it put it in the fronts of the government's minds and they ended up making it so that our children could get back at that age, whatever. So I've seen, like um, Natalie says, there is hope. It's I'm sure for those who've worked in the field for the last 20 and 30 years and have seen very little change in long-term care, I'm sure it's, it's hard to see any. Um, but there is, because we see even from the people who are here, we see that anybody that I talk to, if I explain that I'm involved in this somehow and I explain the things I'm learning, like 
except it seems for our current government and maybe some in the past, there is not a person that I have spoken to who doesn't believe that it's all wrong the way it is, that that should never be happening. Like there is no one who goes, yeah, it's fine. What's your problem? Stop complaining. Nobody thinks this is okay. But I'm, you know, we all know we all have our own battles to be fighting. Not everybody during, especially during the pandemic, but in your regular life is going to have your eye on every social issue that needs some fixing. Right, but you're make you're make some noise campaign, mm -hmm. your message. I'm going to show a, a, an example here is simplifying it even more. This is an example of your tweets that we see regularly and are fantastic. It's like we need to make some noise. And here's the phone number for this individual. Here's the phone number for this individual individual. And it's well, that easy. That, yeah. That's right. I do that because I know if it was me and I thought, oh, yeah, that really matters. But then, you know, you have to go look it up and, you know, that kind of figure if I throw it there, it's easier. People at exactly. least have it. And, right. And all those things. So and you're up um, to date because look at. Right. Here's one of your latest ones. Oh, Paul Calandra. We didn't even get to the new <laughs> long term, but you've already got this individual take over the role in a month. We're being told, but we've got his number on the, on the make some noise. Yeah, that's right. We've got so your number, great. Paul Calandra. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And so, you know, certainly for me, it was just a way of getting my voice out there. And there were so many people out there. Now, listen, it was Linda, I think you said you're preaching to the choir here kind of thing. Right. Um, and so I agree with you there. The, the coolest thing about the um, the summits that Natalie's proposing is it's going to get it out there visibly to people who aren't on social media, who don't realize the hell that's going on. Like they don't realize these stories that we've been we've been hearing things, you know, and I won't go starting listing them again. But I mean, it's as bad as someone finding maggots in a family's bed source, a member's bed source. Like, can you even fathom that that is happening here? There are people who have just zilcho idea that it's going on, right? right? So you make some noise where you can. If it's calling, you know, the minister's fine, but certainly get your MPP's phone numbers. Um, I can even, I'll post that up later, the link to where you can find your MPP contact information. That's easy to find. You just plug, plug in your postal code. Um, like Natalie was suggesting, call on all the candidates in your area in the upcoming upcoming election to explain what their plans are regarding long-term care, how they're going to put them into action if elected, et cetera, et cetera. Rally now in whatever way you can that's safe, you know, with Omicron going on. Maureen McDermott, who's a great advocate, um, she's got an email, solidarity for families at gmail.com. And we can type I that actually in. have that. Yeah. Um, so she's planning rallies outside of Rod Phillips' office. And it might be 10 people rolling. It could be a car cavalcade. If you want to take part in that, and she's going to have them going regularly, drop her an email and she'll give you the logistics of when and where and make it visible. So people driving by are going to say, what is this? And what's going, oh my gosh, long-term care is still a disaster. Great, right, great, Excellent. let's do something, right? Copy in any local media that you have. The, the, the fact that you get a few things in your local paper on your local Facebook page or whatever that just keeps it in people's minds is a really important thing. Um, talk to your families and your friends. They... They have no idea unless they're in it or unless they're doing this kind of thing, what's happening. And they are likely, unless they've been fortunate enough to save enough money to do a private home, you know, down the road, they're likely going to end up there if not have significant loved ones to them ending up in long-term care. So um, talk to them. The issues are from the past, we know, but they're going on now. They're going on tomorrow. They're going on years from now, from now when perhaps you or even, um, you know, they will find themselves in long-term care. Um, finally, at the very grassroots level, talk to your mayors, church groups, businesses who can manage right now. 
order meals to support the restaurants who are closed for in-person dining and send them to staff members at long-term care homes, retirement homes, people who are exhausted beyond belief, who are working 16-hour days and then asked to come back in four more hours to do another 16-hour day. They've got long-term care homes who are asking families to come and do the care for other people's family members because they're so short-staffed. So send some care that way, anything that you can do. You can go to hospital and long-term care home parking lots after a snowfall and shovel off some cars for the staff so that when they come out, they're not like, oh, great, I have to do this too. Any little bits that we know we would appreciate as uh, family members or anything like that, little support, whether you have a PSW who works on your street, anything like that, do what you can to help in any way that you can, because we know that we make a difference. And we love you for it, MJ. We love you for leading that as well, Natalie. I mean, the kudos that I see for you guys is so warranted and it's still not enough. Um, I see there's a comment here, for example, from Rachel, brilliant, articulate, passionate, and compassionate. You are definitely someone to look up to, Miss. This is, we can't say this enough. We can't. And I know that, that, that Rachel speaks for the entire panel and for so many of us that aren't even going to see this podcast. And what's important is your, your, your work is, doesn't stop, especially Natalie, well, we mentioned MJ as well, with long-term care. I mean, you have your hands in so many pots and you sent me this slide, Natalie, right before the show started, literally right before where we're talking about the most recent number of outbreaks. That's today. That's That's today. So can you walk us through this here? Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. So this is from Public Health Ontario and I sort of trust their numbers more than the government website. Um, But so they're saying the number of ongoing outbreaks right now in long-term care 417, there's 626 homes, don't forget. Retirement homes, 305 now, and hospitals, 222. I mean, so we're talking, you know, more than 900 outbreaks in healthcare facilities. Um, And, you know, we're hearing the same thing in shelters and, you know, developmental services and so on. The outbreaks are devastating, devastating. And yes, every Ontarian has a role to play. Like if if we're going out now, wear an N95 mask if you can afford one. We're calling on the province to provide them for everyone. Like think about this thing as an airborne virus. We're calling for leadership from the province to make that clear. Yes, wash your hands, sanitize your hands. Again, in the way that you did in the first wave, you know, minimize contacts because if it's not deadly for you, uh, it's certainly deadly For the elderly, it's deadly for people who are immunocompromised, for all the surgeries and diagnostics that have been canceled, cancer patients waiting, uh, you know, for their surgeries longer means poorer outcomes for them. It's deadly for all of them, the tens and hundreds of thousands of Ontarians who are affected. So please, you know, do what you can in that way. And politically, we, I hate, you know, sort of taking individual credit because we're a movement of people. We're only as strong as the movement is, you know, we matter because everyone does something. So people can volunteer. Like if you wanna come out to those summits and then help organize the billboards and lawn signs and so on, like, so it's visible, people have a way to join. They can make noise that will affect, you know, when, when candidates are going door to door and so on in the election campaign, when they see thousands of lawn signs up in their communities saying, stop your cuts and privatization of healthcare, 
you know, they know it's a key issue. Absolutely. They have to start making concrete promises on it. When they see us calling, we're going to have like fact checkers and myth busters and accuracy checkers that will be really quick and we'll put them out for all of them. When they start saying they're doing stuff they're not doing, we'll call them on it. If you can amplify that, like everyone has roles that they can play that will actually matter. Um, and, uh, and so if people want to volunteer, they could email in, just tell us what town you're in, if that's okay, and a uh, way to contact you. Um, and then we'll we'll link you in with the region with the summits all across the province, and then everyone can help organize their communities and do it themselves. That before, will make you before you back up. Before we go any further with that, I, I, I yeah. always like interrupting you because I, I'm just <laughs> by no, but the facts that you have are incredible. I had um, Christine back here just had a question for you. Yeah. Christine wanted to ask, and I assume, Christine, this is MJ who we were talking about. Christine is yeah. one of your fellow advocates. Yeah. Uh, she wants to know, Natalie, do you still trust the information that's coming out of public health? Well, I think it's better than the government website. Like, So if you're looking for the data each day, look up Ontario Epidemiologic Summary and look at those. So I think it's better than the Ontario right. government COVID-19 site. But no, like they've been um, revising the numbers down for the COVID deaths in long-term care for, you know, at least the last year. Um, so, I, I mean, how do they do that? There were no autopsies, right? Like there were no, there was barely anyone in the homes. The families were locked out in way one. And, um, you know, so I like, no. And media has been asking questions about why they're doing that. It does seem to me, frankly, and I'm not, you know, prone to repeating conspiracy theories, but sure does seem like a cover-up. But I mean, they can't, they can't ax the the full four thousand, you know, residents death numbers, which, by the way, are the worst in the developed world. Like this is not normal. This is not what we should expect of this pandemic. No one else, no other country developed country has seen that kind of carnage in their long-term care it is absolutely preventable so um not all of them obviously but many of the deaths are preventable so yeah no not not totally but i mean it's the best data out there frankly. and and the isolation alone uh, yeah is so devastating but then there's all the effects that are being commented on on and yeah. by the viewers here there's no end to the to the destruction putting these residents, these family members, these people, yeah. they're humans in and situations the where they can well, no longer yeah. thrive. When I think so their, their mobility then decreases, their, their, their hygienes decrease, their mental state decreases. And, and Marine brought up and Marine for anybody who didn't know was on our podcast last week. And if you haven't seen it, definitely go back and follow that one up as well. But right now Marine says it, the urgency is to get these residents out of their rooms. Yeah. And we need to figure out a way to do that. And I think that is the biggest question that we're, we all know what needs to be done. We just don't know how to trigger it. What we're finding in a lot of the homes and a lot of the reports from families are that even when not one resident is positive, they are all isolated to their rooms and it's the staff that's the positive, right? So there's got to be a way where this the, I realize they're interacting, but if they've got their N95s on and they've got their full PPE on and stuff, there's no reason to be leaving residents isolated in the rooms when none of them 
are COVID positive. They've had PCR tests. They're shown to not be COVID positive. Right. What people don't also realize is they're in isolation. Let's say they do that for 10 days. But if a staff member in the middle of that 10 days, uh, another staff member is tested positive, that isolation of 10 days starts again. And so it is it is ongoing. And that's why you're seeing people's family members in isolation for 30 days, you know, 34 days. Can I jump on that? Because the no-brainer thing, like the absolute, I mean, both the federal and the provincial governments have been claiming since last February that we have enough of a supply of N95 masks. The absolute no-brainer thing is that everyone should be an N95 mask. Like if the fear, we know what they're trying to prevent, right? They're trying to prevent the COVID deaths. And all of us are saying, but people are dying from isolation. They're declining in ways that are irreversible from isolation. So that has to be treated at least as seriously. I think yes. that's there's total consensus on that. Yeah, but absolutely. how to do it? No brainer. You cannot lock down 75,000 people and not even require that every staff person and everyone going into the home has an N95 mask on. That's ludicrous to me. I just can't even yeah. believe that that's happening. And then the second thing is, of course, if we allow more essential caregivers, triple vaxxed in proper PPE in uh, the homes, that's the safest you can make it, really. Uh, proper training, you know, as much training as there's capacity to do right now, so people actually know how to use the PPE properly and, you know, understand the infection control issues, but, you know, get them in. And then people are asking things like, you know, I want to take my mom out because all rehab is canceled. So, right. Brad, when they're on isolation, the activities are canceled, rehab is canceled, but baths and showers are canceled. Like it's, care, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, if people are saying, I want to be able to take my mom for a walk on in the hallway, even if it's a scheduled walk, I understand that there is total staffing crisis. The government has to get boots on the ground in there. We all have to demand that. That's the military. That's every health professional that exists in the province that can uh, be funneled into long-term care and hospitals and so on to deal with the crisis. But in addition, surely families could be able to take their mom for a walk down the hallways or outside on the days that aren't freezing um, in order to just give them some stimulation, some exercise and so on. Some, you know, a, a little bit of kind of physio and those sorts of things. So there's measures that can be taken for sure that get them out of the rooms a little bit. Uh, and they have to be managed. They have to be considered to be as important as other things. Well, I know, Natalie, we were in just yesterday on a Zoom emergency press conference. You had a lot of um, significant individuals there who are representing a lot of groups of uh, workers and residents and things on there. And from listening to the people who spoke, there are two things that I found as probably the most uh, common thing repeated by all of them, which was we are in a humanitarian crisis in healthcare and long-term care especially, and we need to repeal, repeal Bill 124, which is the wage, wage cap bill, right? Because that has a massive impact on nursing, um, retaining nurses. Long-term care has nurses. They need them, right? And we need the expertise while we're uh, while there are staffing shortages and that kind of thing. I mean, you had people from, obviously, yourself. You had the Unifor's assistant uh, to the national president. You had Ontario Nurses Association there. You had QP president, National Pensioners Federation president, OPSU Healthcare Divisional Council Chair. Like you had the PSW speaking from the heart about what they're going to do. Everything. They're all saying the same thing. You need to um, 
you know, pay the pay the staff what they need so that they're wanting to be do want to stay, can stay, can afford to. They need their paid sick days. They need things so that they can come to work and then do the work because I know that they want to. They are devastated the PSWs when they know they are not giving the care to their residents. They are heartbroken when they leave for their shifts. There are people who leave, they go home and they're crying on their way home. They're crying on their way into work. Um, and you even have someone who even posted today, and I think you know who you are if you're on here, who, who tweeted today. She's a PSW and she said, looking forward to today, no matter how short we are, I am, I am all set and I know I won't get pulled. I'm beyond excited to see my three favorite residents. You literally miss them like family. My heart secretly hopes they missed me too and that they've been taken care of. <laughs> I saw yeah. that one too. Yeah. And I would, everyone kind of probably was touched the same way when they read that. But that's yeah. the reality of healthcare. Yeah. Get people in there. Yeah. They're not just there for a check, but they want to be respected and reimbursed so that they can live and provide yeah. themselves a, a decent living while providing for others. But they also have that inner, that inner, what you just talked about, that guttural feeling of, I just want to be there. I want to help. So yeah. let's support all of them that want that. And let's also support the families, the friends that are qualified to be there. And by qualified, I mean, you are yourself protected. You're doing all the measures you can to go into a facility safe and go take mom for a walk. Yeah. Go take dad for a walk. And to me, it's too simple that way. It's the small things. And I don't know what I'm missing, how, how this is not happening. Yeah. It's, you know, it's inhumane. And I really, really feel like there's beyond my my league but there's so, almost yeah, a borderline of human right issues going on here absolutely there are. it is yeah. human and it's beyond my say but i'm sure experts out there can plead a pretty good argument that human yeah. rights we actually brought uh, we asked to, we did a whole tour and brought a complaint to the ontario human rights commissioner and asked her to uh, hold an inquiry under her powers under the act uh, into what is going on in long-term care. And she said, no. So we we should pressure in the longer term, we need to pressure the Ontario Human Rights Commission to actually do that. Because yeah. no, there's no other part of society that has been locked down uh, arbitrarily. It's detention. It's illegal. Yeah. And, you know, even under Reason, the Mandela statutes and so on, you can't do that. 24-hour uh, 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 um, solitary confinement, solitary confinement right? is unlawful yeah. internationally. Yeah. Sorry, it's getting super dark in here. Sorry. Yeah, no, you <laughs> still Brad, glow, I want you to, <laughs> Those who are or are paying it, they're you know involved today, chatting and watching and maybe going to share. Um, you know, Brad is a perfect example of doing something uh, what he considers small with his spare time. He is a para, uh, he's a medic and firefighter, and he yeah. has fit this uh, podcast in today between 24 hour shifts. So he's not the only one along Natalie sleep deprived. And he's managed to do this because he says he just wants to have this available to people. He's also getting impacted by the, um, the rules that are going on around healthcare. They are no longer, he learned recently, they're no longer priority for PCR tests, right? For, for, fire, right. for firefighters responders. in the province of Ontario who do yeah. medical calls. Yeah, are no longer allowed to get a priority PCR test. Yeah, so it the you know it ranges far and wide, but Brad, we're very grateful that you've done this um, yes. and made it available and put yourself out there for people like Natalie and Dr. Viv who have the data I, and all that kind of thing. It's it's great. So thank you for doing that. I am by no means an expert, and I don't ever pretend to be on any of the topics, whether it's long term care or any of the other podcasts I do. But I am a human, 
and I am an advocate for people and for the well-being of those around us. And, and, and if I can bring on those loudest, strongest, powerful advocates like yourselves, the least I can do. And I'm glad you could, I'm glad you could take the time, Natalie, because honestly, I cannot talk about sleep deprivation. I have 24 hours between two 24 hour shifts. And for you, that would be like a vacation. So I, I cannot, I cannot take the, it's, it's a privilege to be able to pay this forward uh, through uh, a network, a podcast that we're part of, and to be able to have some audience members come in and contribute through chat. They're, they're talking yeah. to each other as well they as are. to us. It's awesome. And it, it's been a very, very productive, interactive podcast. There's no way in a year doing this every day we could cover all the topics. Yeah, it's true. And I you know what's you, great about your podcast too is for the people listening who've been asking about, you know, how do you let people know about it? Even if you have family and friends who aren't necessarily computer literate and stuff, this these podcasts will be on uh, Spotify, on YouTube, that kind of thing. So even if it's a simple setting them up on YouTube and let them sit in front of their phone or whatever, if they have one or a laptop, you loan them. They don't MJ, have to be on Twitter. To can know you roll this for me at the end instead of me? I'm supposed no. to basically give credit <laughs> somewhere we can hear it. Yeah, but that funny. was great. Absolutely. We're on, we're on very, before we're out of time, sorry, yeah. can I just jump in? If people want to volunteer, I want to give them away. Yes, so if they want do. to throw in their, their local. I'm going to give you the whole screen. Because because okay. we we're you're fading into the dark, but we want to see I'm trying to move closer. I'm sorry. He's getting, getting ready for bed. We got you. There we go. <laughs> it's so weird. It's getting ready to snow or something. You're getting ready to sleep. <laughs> sorry, but if you want to volunteer, so in your local town, we'll do Windsor, Sarnia, London, Guelph, you know, Chatham, all across the north, all across the southeast, and so on. Each town. So in your local town, um, please just email us. So O H. C, Ontario Health Coalition, the acronym OHC at simpatico.ca. Let me know. Just put volunteer in the subject line and then just your phone number will be helpful as well as your email. And then I'll be in touch. It'll take, you know, over the next month we're rolling this out. So uh, we'll call and we'll email and we'll link you in so that there's a way that you could do something. And, and then put of your course, Twitter up there the too. Oh, yeah. And put your Twitter handle right. for if you can get messaged through that as well, correct? And yes. that goes... To you or to a bunch of people? I see them all, but good. by okay. whatever means. Yeah. So that's a good. And then we also had MJ mentioning the solidarity for families. That's right. At Gmail. And I believe that was the link to Marine. Yes. That's um, Marine. There yeah. are many, many ways to get out and help. And I know this is where we're at. This is all we have. We are basically at the point in this pandemic, this failure, this complete towards long-term care and our healthcare system in general, where we need to now start to start walking. We need to keep moving. And if it's through the OHD, through make some noise, just keep going and keep getting the message out there. I'm going to kind of reiterate, somebody earlier asked, you're preaching to the converted, but now it's time for us converted to preach to everybody and maybe convert some more or at least enlighten them. I honestly think a lot of this is just Blissful ignorance. Some people do not even know it's existing. So just an education it. campaign, I think, is very powerful. And it's unfortunate we have to do this, but uh, we're also fortunate in a position that we can help con convey that message and to bring it forward. And Natalie, I know, are you, are you able to sleep today or no? Are you going to six more uh, interviews? Am I going to see you on CTV News when we're done this? Or, or yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, like I have a bunch more interviews today. Oh my God. But that's yeah. okay. I'm going to sleep tonight. And you know what? I know that the family, I feel so silly saying that because I know 
I'm hearing from the families and the staff who are up all night, just, you know, it's, so it's not us alone. Like we know that you are too and worrying and, uh, you know, just unable to sleep. It's very traumatic this time. So, so yeah, it, it, it's affecting all of us. It, yeah. it really is. And we're not, no one's side is any less valued yeah. than anyone else's. We all yeah. have a hand in this too. At some point in our lives. That's right. We are either going to be directly involved with this ourselves or with our families, or we're going to be within arm's reach. This isn't something's just some oddball uh, branch of healthcare that we may or may never see. This is one that's really, really close to all of us. And what's incredible like to me, yeah, what's incredible to me is the, um, I, well, I, I personally think it's, it's fairly short-sighted to of people to, or politicians who don't want to spend the money because, you know, it's not, it's just a spending money space, right? We know our seniors don't make us any money. And I just think, well, if I'm at my age, let's say, and I know that my future, when I get to a point where maybe I can't care for myself or my family can't care for me, whatever, and I have a place to go where I'm going to be safe, um, respected, where my dignity will be intact, that kind of thing, I will probably be a happier, more contributing member of society now than someone who is thinking, okay, I got to work, I got to hurry up and save because I don't want to end up there or I'm just oblivious or, you know, like there, there's just to me, it's very long-term thinking. So unless you, you know, really want to see just the good of everything happening down the road, regardless of what you benefit from yourself as a politician, um, I suppose, You'd have to do that. I just think like, why wouldn't we make it? So it's that you're just, you're happier. People are more, are, are more, what's the word? Um, productive. Like we just know that yeah. <laughs> time, time I, again, right? We, we could just go on and know, on and on. And I know um, time is precious. And I yeah. thank everybody who, who watched. Uh, I hope you can share this. It will be available. I'm going to mention it later, but this is uploaded to the YouTube channel to be forever shared. If you want to watch us in person, if you if you feel the need to see us in some of these slides that we've been showing, you can also hear the um, audible the audio version on Apple Podcast and Spotify. I really uh, encourage everyone that's interested in this podcast, these topics, to subscribe, and it will actually alert you when we're when we're ready to roll out some new info. Um, Natalie, Ryan, thank MJ, you. We just love you. Thank, thank you, you so much. This. Thank you. Um, please uh, don't feel like you're you're in this alone. I know you you conquer so many things and you 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 just get through so much, and you do have a, a body behind. But this is what we're used to again. This is this is what <laughs> this is how we know you. And thank you for all of that. I know you need to go, and I'm gonna kind of zoom you out here. And uh, thank you for your time. This is even more than I thought we'd be privileged to have. And I hope to keep this conversation going. I hope that this there's an election coming in June, but the time is now. And we're going to just keep it going. And even after the election, this is a very, very important topic. I uh, I, I know that you, you're you on your way to do more great things, Natalie. So thank you. Uh, we have a way to reach out to you. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. Me too. Thank you, you so much. All right. All the, the best with everything else that you're doing out there, which is too much to name right now. <laughs> Sorry, right. it's so dark in here. It's That's so okay. Weird. We can still see you. You can hide, but you so try to hide. Here. Yeah, no. All right, Natalie, thank you. We're going to go now. Okay. Okay, we're going to let you go and uh, all the best. Well, we did it, MJ. Uh, I don't know so if you much. want people to know or not, but MJ actually contacted me personally to try and relay this pod day following up last week's. And it was a fantastic idea. 
and you. you orchestrated Natalie coming on and you helped get all of this together and it just shows your drive is no less than anyone else out there and it's definitely uh you're in a leadership role now and oh. I wish you all the best with your make some noise thanks we haven't even mentioned the education side there's just so much oh don't even right get now me that, yeah exactly so <laughs> I hope that you keep paying it forward as you are and again we're going to support you um as much as we can especially with your make some noise campaign thank you thanks here. everybody if you have thanks time to that. stick around please do i'll chat after and i'm just going to zoom you out here and okay. we'll uh say say some final words and thank everybody and that's it there's a lot of really nice comments coming in on the chat so that's nice. uh i agree with them all thank you to you and everything you're doing so we'll we'll, we'll chat soon Thanks again to all the viewers out there. This was another great podcast for not only long-term care, but for advocacy in general. Uh, there's just not enough of that out there. And I can't really uh, provide enough support to everybody that's trying to, to better us as a society, as, as people. Uh, Natalie is a, a powerhouse, very admirable, and that lady does not sleep. She literally just keeps working and working and working. And MJ, I'm telling you right now, she's another one to watch out for. If I was the politician, I'd be definitely marking her social media because she's making a difference as well. Her campaign uh, makes some noise, is gaining ground. And please don't, don't hesitate to partake. Definitely get involved. Make the call. Call these people. Let them know what's going on. Where are we at? Where's our rapid test? Where's our N95? When can I go see my mom? When can I go see my dad? Um, but really, uh, for me, thanks to all of you for joining in definitely are also part of the advocate group that we we all need and uh, if you want to uh, watch this or again share it here's the, the it's on, available on youtube it's also available on deanblundell.com who is the network who's graciously supported this podcast and offered it out there for me to be a member of and just such a powerful network and it's a privilege to be part of their um, enterprise and amazing group of people of course apple Podcasts and spotify this podcast will likely be available tomorrow if you're looking to share it or, or pay it forward. And I also put it out on my socials, um, which are right here. So I have my Instagram, my um, Twitter, YouTube channel, and lesser extent, Facebook. I really don't use the Facebook much anymore. But the top three there, the podcast uh, info will be there for, for redistribution and for future podcasts. Uh, until then, thank you, everybody. Uh, look forward to joining you again soon. And thanks so much for the the great chat we've had. There's more to come. All right. Be safe out there and look after each other. That's, that's all we've got. Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.